Good morning. A little, little different. I'll have to get you guys. Okay. But we'll, we'll do what we can. Um, uh, glad to be back here in Alhambra. A uh, lot cooler than two weeks ago. Uh, that's amazing. It was like a 30, de- 30 degree swing. Uh, and uh, it was kind of neat this week. Uh, I didn't see Neil Walker two weeks ago. And I saw him today and went, okay, the first time I saw Neil Walker. Uh, I'm, I'm aging myself a bit, but I believe it was 30 years ago at the USC campus when uh, you guys had a speaker come out and we came out. I was in college. We, we came out uh, with our group from uh, UC Riverside. And uh, I think so. And, and Neil, I, you look the same. So I, I know I don't, uh, but, but he definitely does. And so in 30 years, and you're a student now, when you go to speak and you see Neil, that's what he'll look like. It's amazing. Um, so this week we're going to, uh, we're going to look at relationships over this week and next week. Uh, really different kinds of relationships. This week, we'll talk about friendship. Specifically the kind of friendship that the Bible talks about and calls fellowship. Now, outside the church, a fellowship is a group of dwarves and elves and men on a quest. Uh, Inside the church, specifically, biblically, uh, fellowship is a core value of the first century church and what we are to really desire. I appreciate the announcement about joining a a community group. That's not just, you know, one more way to get involved. It should be, uh, as much as this is when the whole church gathers, it should be the goal for every believer to join in a group, uh, not just, well, we kind of hang out and we maybe look at some Bible verses and we have coffee and cookies. It should be, this is where I meet with like-minded believers and we do life together. And those are the ones that when, man, I had a really rough week, they're the first people that you send a text to and go, can you pray for me this week? So I, I, would, I would echo that um, as well. And uh, we, my wife and I, we are a part of a community group at CIV in Ontario, and, and I'm grateful for it. And, and so that's kind of the first thing uh, when something's going on, I know who I can text. So uh, I, would, I would echo that. In the Bible, in the first century church, talking about fellowship, really what they did after Jesus was arrested, uh, just abused, crucified, dead, buried, in the grave, on the third day, rose again, and then for 40 days he taught, and then ascended into heaven. And you know what the the church did? They went, okay, guys, Jesus is in heaven. We have our marching orders. What are we going to do? And this is what it says in Acts 4. At the end of the, the chapter, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And awe came over every soul. 
and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were, uh, excuse me, all who believed, lost my place, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as they had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so it uses that word fellowship. And then it describes fellowship that they were together, right? Meeting each other's needs. That, that's the description of what it ought to be. Fellowship isn't just hanging out. And I think we often mess up in the church because we say things like, we're going to have a fellowship. You're like, well, that sounds good, right? No, no other time do people say, let's have a fellowship. But in the church, we call something a fellowship with the hope that something occurs during that time that actually is fellowship. It's not just hanging out having coffee and cookies. It's, it's that part of doing life together that occurs when believers gather together and there's characteristics of it. And, and some of that is in those verses in Acts where they were together, they had things in common, meeting each other's needs, right? They had fellowship. There was a problem we ran into in 2020 where we were told to social distance. And, and perhaps instead we should have physical distanced while working on greater social interaction. And so something really bad happened, right? And I don't just mean because uh, a lot of people got sick and unfortunately we lost loved ones. Uh, but the other thing that we're still going to be feeling the effects for years to come is that people weren't together. Kids weren't in school some of you weren't in school because of that. Uh, I tried to teach. Um, instead of a classroom with students, I taught to a little camera, and, and it wasn't the same. They didn't chuckle at my bad jokes, right? If you got a good math pun, you know people chuckle, right? I got nothing. And I would tell them, can someone unmute and chuckle for me because I'm getting nothing here and this is hard to do. And so uh, there was something lost, something missed. A uh, 2021 study from the Harvard Graduate School of Education, they, they came up with three key findings. Uh, number one, that 36% of respondents reported serious loneliness. They had feelings uh, that they were lonely frequently, or almost all the time, or all the time. I mean, that's significant, that like all the time, they said, I just feel lonely. And then in the four weeks prior to the survey, uh, they would say things like, sometimes, almost all the time, or all the time. And, and this included 61% of young people. And, and a lot of you fit into this. They were the ages 18 to 25. And 51% of mothers with small children. Those numbers are huge, 
where they said, I felt lonely some of the time, almost all the time, or all the time. Uh, A second key finding is that 43% of young adults reported increases in loneliness since the outbreak of the pandemic. About half of lonely young adults in, in the survey reported that no one in the past few weeks, right? So when they did the survey in 2021, no one in the past few weeks had taken more than just a few minutes to ask how they were doing in a way that made them feel, made the person feel genuinely cared for. By the way, as a pastor, that really hurts. That, that someone didn't go out of their way and spend more than just say, hey, how you doing? And spend more than just a few minutes checking on how they were. And, and I know during that time, as a pastor, what I tried to do with, with all of the leaders in my church is everybody had a directory. And I said, I expect everyone on this list to be called every day. And so I'm going to do it too. And, we're, and I started in the A's. I said, maybe some of you start in the middle, middle so everyone doesn't get the same call on the same day. Uh, but I started at the top and I made phone calls and I went through the whole list and I tried to, I, I had to remind myself, I wasn't just calling someone to say, how you doing? You okay? Okay, bye. I'll talk to you later. Right? I, I wanted to engage them. Tell me what's going on. Tell me how you're feeling because it had to be deeper than that. And I have to admit that at times I didn't do a very good job of this because it was hard to do. And so that people would describe their situation as people didn't even care that I didn't feel genuinely cared for. And then number three of the key findings is that uh, young adults suffer a higher rate of both loneliness and anxiety or depression. And then they, they cite uh, a CDC survey that 63% of that same age group, 18 to 25, suffer significant symptoms of anxiety or depression. Right? And then in the midst of that, it only made it worse. And and as much as uh, we would encourage people, hey, get out there and get to spend time with people, kind of the response was, well, I don't know how to do that anymore, right? It's hard to do. That's one of the benefits of church because church is set up to do this, to get people together. And so if you get one thing from a study such as that, it should be the importance of relationships, In fact, I would assert that it's not just the importance of relationships, but healthy and helpful relationships, because there are unhealthy and unhelpful relationships as well, right? So, so it should be that. And we're going to look at uh, an example in the Old Testament next week. We'll look at a different kind of relationship, but, but this week I want to look at a relationship that, that you probably are aware of, uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, and really it starts on the battlefield. Uh, where uh, the armies of Israel were aligned and opposed to the armies of the Philistines. And, and as they were uh, across that battlefield, they, they were challenged every day by Goliath, who is described often as a giant. If, if Goliath was alive today, he would tower over most NBA players. And so uh, Goliath would come out, he would challenge Israel, and, and Israel was scared, right? The armies were scared. 
And he would say, look, if you come out and, and, and take me on, then, then it'll be fine. It'll just be the two of us, but otherwise we're going to fight. And, and they, they wouldn't do anything. And so there was the youngest son of Jesse. You guys know him, David. David was bringing supplies to his brothers who were soldiers in the army. And as he got near there, he, he heard the challenge. And there's David who doesn't understand how we are the army of God. Does it matter that he's literally a giant? Who can stand against God's army? He, he just couldn't conceive of why someone didn't just step up and say, how dare you stand against the army of God? And so he started speaking out. What are we going to do? And someone overheard. And they brought him to the king. And the king's like, wait, you're willing to step out there against that giant? Go for it. Here's my army, armor. You could put it on. Here's my sword. Go for it. Now, we kind of get this impression that there's David, a little boy, right? And you kind of think that, and you've been taught that, and, and maybe the, the pictures uh, in, in the children's books, it shows a child trying to put on an armor. Well, it's too big, and it doesn't really work, and, and the sword is too heavy, and I don't think I'll do that. But, but it was King Saul who saw David and went, oh, put, put my armor on him. So, so my guess is, David's a pretty big kid, right? He's not a little child. He's probably a fairly large youth. And David didn't wear the armor because it was, it was something he wasn't used to and he wasn't used to the sword. And so he went out with just the sling and he saw some stones, right? They were smooth. He picked those up. That's what I'm going to use, right? That's how he defended his, his herd when he was out protecting them. And so he ended up just swinging the sling. He hit Goliath. Goliath is down. He picks up Goliath's swords, chopped off his head. This, this sounds like an incredible account. Not just a story, it's history. And so after that event, David is brought into the king. And we read this interaction. This is in... Uh, the first book of Samuel, chapter 18, starting in verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, right? So this is David speaking to Saul. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul, the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him and he gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So there's David, he, he just went to deliver some things. He ends up fighting against Goliath. He's brought in before the king. He's like, you're not going home, you're staying with us. And he was successful everywhere he went. But the relationship I want to focus on is between 
David and Jonathan. There's been an attempt in recent years to make the relationship between the two something other than wholesome. There's no evidence of that. Uh, That says way more about the conditions of our culture than about Jonathan and David. In fact, when I read the account, I see just these buddies. That's the kind of relationship that we would seek. And there's some characteristics of it that I think is really helpful. First of all, that this friendship between Jonathan and David is, first of all, it's committing to care for one another. There's this agreement between friends that I care about you. I understand the, the, the what's going on with you, and I want to help you. I want to intercede on your behalf because what happens to you matters. That's not true of everybody, right? It's not true between acquaintances, right? Maybe when you, you go in and get your coffee and, it, and it's the same barista every time, you kind of develop a, an acquaintance. You might even learn the person's name, right? They're doing their job to learn yours, And so you might learn their name. If if something happens, there's something going on, you might go, well, that's unfortunate. Right? But there's no tug on your heart. There's, there's, There's no desire. I really need to step up and step in and see what I can do to intercede on your behalf. Unless you're much kinder than I am, I guess. No, it's, it's in a friendship that when something's going on with the other person and and you feel it right there's not just a a sympathy i understand but there's an empathetic uh reaction when you hurt i hurt and i care so there's a a commitment then to care It, it says in that passage that jonathan loved david and again, we, we twist the word love so often in our culture that, that we forget what it means. But love is always a decision. It's not a feeling, right? Because I've got lots of feelings about lots of different things. Love isn't that. In fact, if I, I talk for another hour, you'll all start having a feeling. Because it's... 10:30 and I tend to start feeling that now. I need a snack. That's a, a feeling, right? Maybe maybe there's some sort of emotional reaction. No, love isn't that. Love is a a decision. Jonathan loved David and that's a description of that commitment. Jonathan made a de- covenant with David. Well, what does that look like? Right? It's, it might very well be a, a cultural aspect, something we don't quite do today, where uh, there's a decision ultimately between the two going, you know what, I love you like a brother and we're together in this. I was wondering about this, think about it for a minute. Can you count on your friends? Right? That's the whole point, is being able to count on your friends. Uh, by the way, if you're like, there's some friends I can count on and some friends I can't. Right? And you know that, and you can t- normally tell the difference. 
You should be able to count on friends. That should be part of the definition. In Proverbs 18.24, it says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's the friend that can be counted on. right? It's not just this, this gathering of people that are surrounding you and, and, and I feel so popular. A couple weeks ago, we talked about social media and, and that those people are called followers, right? So you might have a lot of followers in social media. Could you count on them, right? Could I, could I go on my social media feed and I could look at my my friends, my followers, and I can go, you know what, I can call up any one of them, and they would, they would be there. My car breaks down. I get a flat tire. I, I need a tow. I can just call any one of them. Man, they're there. And you're all chuckling like, there's no way. But who do you call? All right, if you're one of my kids, you call dad. Uh, by the way, I call my dad too, so that's all right. See, but I also have some friends that I know that if I made that phone call, I sent that, that text, right? They're the ones I count on, not just, not just the, the many companions, but the one that sticks closer than a brother. So friendship is supposed to be committing to care for one another, to understand others' needs, right? That's what friendship is supposed to be. Number two, friendship is sacrificing for one another. See, friendship is is supposed to cost something. And I understand that that as our society changes, the understanding of friendship changes. But what we're talking about is this biblical understanding that we commit to care for one another and we're willing to sacrifice for one another. Now, I know that you will see and hear and and understand friendship and there's going to be lots of examples out there, but it's not going to look like that often where it's going to cost something. David became famous for his victories, right? So, so Saul brought him in. He basically said, you know what? You're, you're my guy. I'm going to put you to work. And, and so he became famous for his victories. The people would cry out. Saul has struck down his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. The people would say that it was, might very well be true, but it created some problems. Because there's King Saul. Saul had some issues. In, in fact, it's recorded in chapter 19 of 1 Samuel. Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and all his servants that they should kill David. Boy, that got serious quickly, didn't it? He didn't talk to him and say, you know, I'm not really happy with David. Or it hurts my feelings when I hear this. It's, you know what? We should kill him. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David, right? They were buddies. Verse 2, and Jonathan told David, 
Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide. I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I'm going to tell you. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he's not sinned against you, because his deeds have brought good for you. Man, you got to like Jonathan. Jonathan stepped in between David and his dad, the king. This is a precarious location. He just got through saying, I'm not happy with David. I'm going to kill him. And Jonathan stepped right in the way. That's incredible. Right? Not just, hey, David, I care about you. Be safe. No, it's, there's something dangerous. Let me get in between because I'm willing to put myself in harm's way for you. That's how important this relationship is. Saul was jealous. <laughs> but why should he be so jealous to the point that he wanted to kill David? Well, it actually started before this. It started before David went and met Goliath. Saul messed up. Saul was the anointed king of Israel. Chosen by God. Scripture uh, gives a description of Saul. He was a head taller than those around. He was the image of what a king ought to be. And the people looked at Saul and said, there's our king. And for a time, looked like things were good. We have a king. He follows, he leads as God would have us, uh, have us be a, a nation committed to what God's plan is. And then he messed up. I mean, he like really messed up. And, and scripture says that, that uh, God's favor left Saul. And he chose another king to replace him. Guess who he chose? He chose David. And so Samuel went and anointed the youngest son of Jesse. Surprisingly, right? Because you kind of went down the line and here's the oldest and he's strong and, and looks fairly wise. He kind of went down. The, you want the youngest guy? Yep, that's him. Scripture describes David as a man after God's own heart. That's a description, right? It, it's not described as, well, he's, he's, he's a nice guy. He works hard. He's fairly wise. He, no, he's a man after God's own heart. And he was anointed as the next king. It wouldn't be Saul's son, Jonathan. Wait a minute. It hasn't been established at this point, but it's common practice that, that if you're a monarch, 
when you're no longer around, your, your oldest child, your oldest son gets to be king in your place. Right? We just saw that in England. It took a while for him to get to be king too. Jonathan... As much as Jonathan thought, my dad's a king, maybe I'll get to be king. More important than that was his relationship with David. His best bud, the guy who's, who he loved him. I'm there for you, right? I care about you. I'm willing to sacrifice for you. Someone probably should have told Jonathan, you know, David's going to get your job. I think Jonathan didn't care because his relationship mattered more. Friendship is supposed to be sacrificial. There's a picture for you. He cared more about the well-being of David than his own. And then third, friendship is God's plan for your good. So it's not just, well, maybe I'll have a friend or two. It's, it's, this is part of God's plan through the church. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, in Peter's first letter to the church, 3.8, says, finally, which I appreciate Peter going, before I'm done, let me tell you something important. Finally... All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. That's a description of godly men and women in the church. That's what it's supposed to be, right? That you're of one mind, you're, you're thinking the same thing, you have the same priorities, the same goals, Sympathy, actually thinking about others, brotherly love, and this is the, the common use of brotherly love in that it's um, a love between siblings, right? So sisters and brothers together caring for one another, or as uh, my dad likes to say, I'm not going to be around forever, you, you got to get along with your sisters, which, for the most part, a tender heart and a humble mind, right? This is part of God's plan is that within the church, we would care for each other in that way. And then in Ecclesiastes, probably a very familiar uh, couple of verses, verse 9 of chapter 4, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Work together. Don't work on your own. Do it together, he says. By the way, working together, it's always more fun. Uh, verse 10, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so the, the picture is clear 
that whatever you're doing, it's better to do together. And so our, our, the plan that God has set up within the church is that we do this together. Now, I've often described it this way, that uh, church isn't kind of a, a last-ditch effort. You know what? You guys got to be in the world, but not of it. And, and so maybe gather together and, and know this is God's plan, and it's a picture Right? It's just a beginning picture, a glimpse into what heaven's going to be like. And so we're supposed to gather together and get along because if you're not getting along with your brothers and sisters in Christ, heaven's going to be really long. Right? Let's get along now. It'll be way better. And then number four, friendship is for your encouragement and hope. That's the purpose of it, that, that your friendship with one another should be encouraging. So have you ever spent time with people and you're like, that was just fun, right? We just had a good time together. Uh, we had a, uh, a cards night, a men's fellowship last week, and, and I did horribly but it was fun just being together, right? I didn't have to do well because that wasn't the point. It was just hanging out and being together. Well, that's enough. It's enough to be together. And afterward, you kind of leave and go, well, that was fun, right? My, My fun wasn't based on how well I did. I played really well. I won. You see, being together is the reward. But there are times when you're with people and you leave and you're like, I just feel drained. No, our friendship is supposed to be such that afterward we walk away going, I feel encouraged, I have hope. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. That's our job, to build each other up. Some people naturally do this, right? They're the ones that are just so encouraging And afterward, you feel good about it. Some of us have to work a little bit harder about it, right? Some people are are natural optimists, just like some people are natural encouragers. I have a, a colleague that every time I run into him, I walk away going, he just asked me about my family, about how my classes are going, and, and I feel better just having talked to him. Then I feel bad afterward because I know he doesn't feel as good talking to me as I feel talking to him. Like, I need to learn some lessons on how to do that. But he just does it naturally. But that's supposed to be the point of that friendship. And then Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How do we bear one another's burdens? It's really important that you recognize it's B-E-A-R, not B-A-R-E. Because other people's burdens isn't everybody's business. But we're to pick them up and carry them for them. We do that through prayer. We do that through 
uh, really checking on them. Hey, how's it going? How can I be there for you? What do you need? And, And then trusting that when you're a good friend, others will be so as well. Have a couple of uh, next steps for you today. Uh, first of all, commit to work on at least one friendship. So preferably people sitting around you today. Work on one of those. Uh, call a friend, meet for coffee, etc. Right? You got to work on that. Friendship is like any other relationship. It takes work. So you need to make that commitment. If there's someone that came to mind when I said work on a friendship, they're the ones you should call, text, grab before you leave. Hey, let's get together. Uh, another one would be to commit to encourage my friends, right? That I'm going to work on it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recognize that, that I need to work on that a little bit more. I'm not as, as natural at it as some, so I'm going to work on that. It means that when, I, when I'm with others, instead of thinking about me, I got to think about them. And then I, I put it in there uh, as well. I'm glad the announcement came up that, that you would join a, a community group. That, because this is what we do. We do this together, right? We do life together. It's not an accident, right? It doesn't just happen by chance. And that uh, you will grow in faith together much better than you accidentally grow by yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so encouraged by Jonathan and his willingness to commit to David in friendship. Father, I'm so encouraged understanding the the sacrifice that Jonathan made. That it wasn't so much that it would be easy, because it wasn't. It wasn't easy. In fact, for Jonathan, he had to sacrifice potentially his, his job. He had to sacrifice uh, really possibly his, his own well-being. Father, we pray for greater understanding. How can we be better friends to one another? Uh, that, that this church would be recognized for our relationships, whether we call it fellowship or not. That when I go there, I'm encouraged. I have hope. Father, that, that today I would... I would commit. Maybe even as we've been talking, it's brought to mind a few friends that I need to reconnect with. I need to work on relationships. I need to be a better friend. And Father, my my prayer uh, for each one here ultimately is that no one would walk away with that sense of of loneliness. If anybody is struggling with that, Lord, we, we pray right now that you be their source of hope. And that they would reach out. Maybe, maybe others aren't aware yet how they're feeling, but, but you do. So, Lord, you surround them with, uh, 
with friends in fellowship. That they would be a source of encouragement and hope. Father, we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.